Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is the CEO of Microsoft South Africa, Lillian Barnard. Some quick fun facts. Microsoft founded on the 4th of April, 1975. It has a market capitalization in the region of 1.78 trillion US dollars, ranking second in the world with multiple subsidiaries, including LinkedIn, Skype, Xbox. And according to EarthWeb, approximately 1.4 billion people across the globe use one or more Microsoft products or service. With that said, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Malka, and it is just fantastic to join you today. I wanted to do a little bit of a, a backtrack in aspects of your career as we start the show. Before working at Microsoft, you served as Chief Sales Officer for Vodacom's enterprise business. You ran your own consulting firm, Lillian B Consulting Services, which was an advising and coaching business. You also spent 15 years at IBM, and seven of those years were at IBM's European headquarters in France and Switzerland. And when I look at this wonderful career path of yours, it reminds me of a fantastic Jack Walsh quote. He said, before you are a leader, success is all about growing yourself. When you become a leader, success is all about growing others. No, that's, that's, that's very true. And, uh, and those are important milestones uh, that you've actually shared, right? But for me, always when I kind of listen to this, I always think about the beginning of the story. And I think the life-changing moment for me was at the age of 28 when I got entrusted with a leadership role. And to be honest, it was quite a big role. Uh, it was my first leadership, you know, uh, a role at that level of magnitude. And, and I got entrusted with 30 people. And, and, and that, for me, changed my story quite profoundly. Just, you know, stepping into that, I would say, you know, profile of trust. Because when you become a leader, it means an organization trusts you and believes that you can do something, right? There's potential there that you could shape something that could drive the organization to, to the next level. So 28, heading up 30 people, was that in, in the IBM space? It was in the IBM space because I actually started my career. I started as a graduate hire at IBM and uh, I stayed with the company for 15 years uh, before running my own business, then joining Vodacom and now working for an amazing company, Microsoft. So, so that was the beginning of, of, of my journey, which was at IBM. You've spent a significant part of your life working in the ICT industry, and it's a sector which is unfortunately still male-dominated. There was some data from Women in Tech, and the article mentioned that only 23% of tech jobs in South Africa are held by women. That's out of 236,000 ICT roles, meaning that women occupy 56,000 of them. And when you look a little bit more broadly, according to the European Institute for Gender Equality, 17% of almost 8 million ICT specialists in Europe are women, with 
the average growth forecast for all occupations uh, between the period 2013 to 25, 2025 as being 3%. Given your experiences, please, can you tell us about some of the gender challenges you've encountered and have overcome in your career? Yeah, I mean, in, in some of these industries that are typically quite male dominated, when you come through the ranks, right, there's a plethora of challenges that you've experienced. And some of those challenges are organizational challenges. And I would even go as far as saying some of those are personal challenges, right, where you need to start garnering the confidence to believe that, firstly, I am worthy. Number two, I am an intellectual, you know, equal of, of, of my male counterparts. And, and, and the thing is that when you start, you find quickly that I talked about 28, you quickly become an only, right? You, you get into these rooms and you start looking for people who look like you and, and you start counting and you don't get too far, right? So that for me was one of the challenges. And I quickly had to overcome it because I must tell you that has been the story of my life. Today, I mean, even when I got announced uh, by Microsoft uh, taking over the subsidiary as uh, the CEO for South Africa, the biggest story that came out of it was that, that I was the first woman, right? So it just tells you that that has really been part and parcel of, of my story. Maybe on a personal front, except from the organizational challenge was, I think, finding your voice, finding your voice in a, a room full of males where you feel confident not just to express yourself, but to make a point, to take a stand, right? And to, to believe in, in, in your point of view. Those are challenges, especially when you look in the room and you don't see anyone who looks like you. And for me, Dr. Malka, I got in some of these rooms very young. So for me, that was a challenge on top of it, right? When I kind of would look around, I would be like, whoa, okay, I think there's at least like, quite, you know, 15 plus years of experience between the difference between myself and, and others who are in the room, you, you start also kind of suffering from self-doubt. And that is why this piece around trusting your voice, trusting your intelligence and believing what you have to offer and bringing it to the table and, and that it could absolutely add value becomes ultimately, you know, quite, quite important. And, uh, and in terms of just kind of challenges was finding help because everybody doesn't matter who you are somewhere along the way somebody helped you and I think what made some of those moments easier for me and I talk a lot about mentorship was finding people who could help me navigate. When you were in that process of finding people was it formal did you go directly to people because I think this is also part of the challenge you need assistance. You need to rely on your own voice, believe in yourself, develop that self-confidence, but still accept that you're vulnerable. And in order to grow, if you have got access to mentorship, it'll enable you much more quickly to navigate your path. Absolutely. No, I was very fortunate and I, I believe I was given the gift of mentorship. People mentored me and I, I often share this with some of my young mentees and say that, you know, when you show the right qualities by having the right attitude, working hard, and you show a promise, there's something that makes somebody wanting to say, hey, I want to bet on you. I want to help you with your career. And that's fantastic. But actually, that's not happening to you. 
Nothing precludes you from reaching out to someone to say, hey, could you help me? Could you help me figure this out? Could you help me understand this? Because there's always people who have traveled the road way before us, right? There's no need for you to kind of make the same mistakes and take too long to kind of get on board it. So, so mentorship for me was kind of key. And I must tell you that it has set so deeply inside of me that literally wherever I went in every organization, I've started a mentorship forum, a mentorship circle, because we all now know that, you know, you don't just get to this level purely because you are smart, purely because you work hard. There's a whole lot of others that do that. It is because of some of these other softer things, such as mentorship, where you did get help that kind of really aided your path. And when you talk about mentorship, is that what the uh, South African chapter of the women at Microsoft is about? So I must tell you what was fascinating was that when I joined Microsoft in 2017, uh, I was asked uh, to lead the women at Microsoft chapter. And guess what? The first thing I did was to start a mentorship circle because I was at the time the most senior woman in the organization. Everybody reached out to me almost to say, Lynn, could you help me? Could you mentor me? And I struggle always with that to say that, why don't you mentor these three and not the other five, right? How do you start creating that differentiator? I also wanted to democratize it a bit more because sometimes you have to do it because often some of these structures are just available to the few and far between. So I created kind of like a, a, a almost like a pyramid structure where 10 mentors, 10 mentors, 10 mentors, 10. By the time you're done, everybody's got a mentorship touch point. And honestly, that created quite a groundswell for us where it created by definition inclusivity, where women felt seen, included. And of course, we have advanced the women at Microsoft structure actually quite a bit. And maybe I could share this with you, you know, because I was looking back and I just thought about my career trajectory. I thought about the opportunity, the privilege I've had to work abroad, you know, some of the access that I've had into some of these rooms very early, some of the courses I've been. And what I actually just did 18 months ago, Dr. Malka, was that I, I thought I need to be able to put all my experiences together and give it to women as a gift. I ended up working with Duke to put a course together for my women, which is a series of about eight sessions, just to take them through some of those building blocks that have been super pivotal in getting me here. And today we're rolling this out, not only in, uh, in South Africa, because it's been a resounding success. That program is now adopted across Middle East Africa as well to help women accelerate their careers. Congratulations. That is just such fantastic news of being able to really put all of your learnings and lessons and have that scalability effect. And it's about how do you scale? How do you bring more women into the room? How do you accelerate more women, right? Because you can easily do a one-on-one -on -one mentorship. Fine. And that's fantastic if I touch one life, but I wanted to touch many lives, right? And I found that by just, you know, partnering with you, doing this course has enabled me to scale this way beyond myself, which I think is fantastic, right? And we need to do more of that because our work is not done yet. A hundred percent. And when we think about the entire economy, literally everything is undergoing digital transformation from finance to health to manufacturing, which doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to replace what was done in an analog way. 
Um, but it's about looking looking towards digital and doing things in a completely new and, and different forms of economic growth, which naturally in this environment, that's going to create demand for greater ICT and STEM skills, opening up more opportunities that should ultimately include women. So women really have to be equipped in order to participate in this new economy. Given all of your experiences and tapping into perhaps some of the elements in the course that you've done, for younger women who are contemplating their career paths, what would you recommend they do to be actively part of the sector and take advantage of opportunities in this changing world, whether it's from qualifications to subject choices or learnerships? Give us your take. Fantastic. I, I think, honestly, there is no silver bullet because if I actually think of how I got into tech, right, I always say this, that I did not select tech, tech selected me because when I came out of university, I was just looking for a job. Thank goodness I ended up at an IT company and I'm still finding myself to be super relevant, you know, almost 25 plus years later. So one for me is that we need to demystify the complexity around what does it mean to have an IT career? Because if we don't demystify it, it will remain complex, perceived to be complex. For me, that's that's number one. And the way in which we do this, and you know there's a lot of initiatives being done today, is to expose young women to tech. Let them touch it, let them feel it, let them see it, let them play with technology for them to understand the accessibility thereof. And we have seen many initiatives when you start doing that, you can see that you can create almost your own groundswell. You create an appetite, you create an interest because you will never know whether you're interested or not unless you've seen it, touch it or, or, or feel it. Number two, I think also like, I think we need to become very, very programmatic in many ways, right? So it is about building programs, building programs from a very young age, right? If you think about primary school, all the way to secondary school, all the way to university, making sure that some of these programs that we have in place to actually give people access to what does coding actually mean? What does artificial intelligence actually mean? You actually start giving these things kind of names that people can, you know, really associate with. Another piece that I want to mention is that, you know, there's a big part on how do you coach, how do you mentor, but also how do you create for me kind of allyships, right? Because I don't believe just women need to empower women. We absolutely need men as part of the story, right? To kind of come in and kind of show what is possible. So let me kind of show that this is not just for a certain group, but it's literally for every group. You will also need to kind of encourage, I believe, young women to try new things, to have the courage. To, and, and it is very true. When you don't know something, you tend to be afraid. When you try something, you realize, oh, my goodness, it's, it's not that difficult. I have found even for myself being in technology, I had to remain a lifelong learner. What I started out with in technology 25 years ago, oh, of course, it's not what we're doing today and talking about. So literally, I have to learn every day. And for them to understand that, oh, I'm not the only one we have to learn. Actually, everybody has to learn because technology keep on changing. 
And I would say another point probably is how do you personalize this for yourself, right? Because there's so many entry points into technology, if you think about it, right? Some people want to start an app, do something with it. Some people want to code. How do you personalize it? How do you kind of say, I'm going to use technology, whether it's going to be environmental, use it for sustainability, there's a piece there. Because the moment it becomes personal, it could easily become quite passionate for you too. Those are such great points. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, and today we're talking to the CEO of Microsoft South Africa, Lillian Barnard. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ms. Barnard, turning more towards your current role, you're steering an important ship. We shared some of the stats earlier on in the conversation. Please tell us about some of your plans for Microsoft. So I've been enrolled now going for close to four plus years, which has been just an amazing role. And uh, one of the quick things you learn, and especially when you lead Dr. Malka at this altitude, you quickly realize that this is really a people first job. In fact, that is a phraseology that my boss often used to say it is about the people. It is about you know, developing a strategy to make sure that people get to their absolute best. Because when you focus on the people, the people will ultimately help you drive the business. So I spend a lot of time focused on people, focus on leadership, and focus on what do we need to do to make sure that we grow and develop people, you know, and, and their talents. Another piece that we focus on, it's absolutely working with our people. It is about our customers, right? We have a unique opportunity. If you think about where we are in history, we've talked about digital transformation for some time. We've now seen digital acceleration during the pandemic. And we are at an inflection point. There is some pertinent decisions that our customers need to make in terms of how they're going to transform, how they're going to innovate to make sure that they stay ahead of the curve. And this is where we partner with customers in all, across all industries, private and public sector, to talk about that digital acceleration, whether it's about employees, giving them the right tools, the tech, to make sure they can work from home. And I mean, that's an entire topic on its own, right? What does work look like now in this new normal? Then there's the piece around the customers. What are you going to do to create a differentiated customer experience, right? We all do stuff so differently. We all now shop differently, right? Post-pandemic, we're definitely not the same shoppers, right? We, for the longest time, we've never been the same bankers, right? And then there's a piece around optimization. How can I do business better? Is there a better way of doing stuff that we've been doing for years, and then also, how do you develop new revenue streams, right? What is this new service? Because every company has to become a digital company, right? Because there's a lot of kind of adjacent innovation that sits within your business where you can unearth some new revenue potential for you. And another piece as well that's important is our partnerships. How are we working with our local ecosystem and partners to make sure that we deliver some of these digital solutions and technologies for our customers? So much innovation. This is the beauty, I think, of the world that we live in, that it is about change. And if we are part of that change, we're steering the narrative and directing our futures. Earlier, you spoke about 
given your, your history and given, let's say, the history of women in leadership, that you've often found yourself to be the first, to be the only. What are some of your go-to leadership strategies? I am naturally inclusive because I know what it feels to be excluded. Because people want to belong. If you think about it, and it actually doesn't matter. It's not just a business statement, right? This is more a human statement. People want to belong. They want to belong to a group. And whether the group is a company, you want to belong even to a family. You want to have that level of acceptance. I focus on inclusion. Inclusion means that you create a place where people can bring their authentic selves so that they can do their best work. And Dr. Malka, there's such a profound statement in this because only when we are at authentic self can we truly operate at our level of exceptionalism. One way you become fearless, right? And it is about understanding that there's a lot of sameness between us, but there's a lot of difference. And how do we ultimately embrace both, right? For the greater outcome, by the way, it is about the outcome that we need to deliver together because if you think about it, when you come together and you work in a company, you are coming together to be effective to deliver an outcome. And the only way that you can be effective and you can you know, be at your A-game is when you have the opportunity to operate at the top of your game. The only way you operate at the top of your game is when you can really show up with your best selves and feel you are in an environment that's free of judgment. And these are very complicated things, by the way, to achieve in a work environment. But this is what we strive for and what I strive for at Microsoft. It's, it's quite inculcated in, in our culture, this culture that we build and striving for. Admirable culture. And I, I really hope that you're able to drive that through, that people are, are able to realize that. And I mean, you you touch every single culture in, in the world as a, as a global organization. Given that we're a gender show, one of the things that I wanted to ask you, and this draws on your experiences, is that if there was one thing that you could change to ensure that women had a better future in the workplace, what would that be? You know what I focus on now, and I have found that, you know, the more I'm at this in terms of, you know, focusing on women inclusion, women empowerment, you learn a lot, right? And, and as you kind of move up, you actually also see a lot. If one thing that I'm focusing on right now, and, and I mean, we've, we've ever talked about including women, right? We've talked about women in boards, and that's fantastic. I believe in it. But I'm quite obsessed with my latest thought, which is include women at every level of leadership. I am beyond now, you make Lillian, you know, the top and, oh, we celebrate because we've won. No, we haven't. It's maybe a great start, but we haven't. Because, you know, what is for me the, the real meta point here is that at my level, I get to employ 10 people who sit on my leadership team. Those are the people that I'm directly responsible for hiring. But below them is an entire organization who hires every day. If you don't focus on representation at every single level, you are going to struggle to get that equality right at every level. And for me, that's the piece to say, when I look at my organization, where do the women sit and where does decision-making sit and do they have input where it matters? And it is about pipeline building. It is about succession slates. 
It is about women even knowing that, hey, there are great plans for me, right? Somebody thinks I can do something bigger and better somewhere in the future. And it is about showing them a part because sometimes we're not good in painting the path for women. Because if you, if you know, years ago, we used to talk about, you know, more often than not, women used to opt out as they were just about to get to the top. Because often that way to the top was not finitely sketched for them that kept them motivated enough to stay. So, so true. I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I, I'd, I'd love to be able to look under the hood at your programs and see what you're doing. It sounds absolutely fantastic. You're an incredibly busy executive. I know that we've had to reschedule our session a, a couple of times because of, of timing and time is the one resource that we can never actually get back. But it's one of the things that women have to contend with from a professional point of view as striking this balance between work and home life. Um, some people talk about an integration. Some people have said that their view of balance is when they fall over from one and fall into the other role, that's that's what works for them. So as someone who has worked incredibly hard to build your career, what are some of your tools or approaches you use that other women can consider to help them cope? So, and I mean, we've taught forever it was work-life balance. Now we call it work-life integration. I'm sure soon we're going to find a new uh, phraseology for it. If I just think, and I want to talk really about experience, right? Because I don't want to romanticize about this thing about how do I balance, right? Because people have been seeking balance for some time now. But for me, if I think of what I've done, and I, I was a single mom doing my career, Number one, it is about extreme prioritization. What do I mean by it? It's about knowing how to oscillate between personal and professional at moments when you are needed. And, and, and those moments, you need to be attuned with yourself to know this is a moment right now for me to show up for my family and I'm going to park work because I know I'm going to come back because tomorrow there's going to be a review, a strategy session, and my family needs to understand they just won't even have an opportunity to speak to me because I will be so busy, right? And it's about finding that balance between oscillating between the two very seamlessly. There's another piece for me, which I've done, if I now kind of look back, is taking your family on the journey. Getting them to understand what you actually do beyond your title. Because I have found that has helped me because when they started getting insights into my job and what my job require of me, firstly, they lack with a little bit more empathy, understanding that I would be busy most times, but also they got to understand where what was demanded of me at work and how I needed to be successful so that they could also help support me. I have found that majorly useful because often we don't bring them into our inner circle to tell them that, hey, actually, this is my average day. This is what happens at work. I go from back to back, back to back, back to back meetings. And by the time I don't get back to your phone call or your WhatsApp, it is because of the following. And I find that that, that, that works. But And then also for me, it's probably the third one is the discipline. Have the discipline to know when to stop working. Go on holiday. Have the discipline to say, I am going on holiday and I'm not going to work, right? Because now you're actually putting your family first. And, and because you want to make sure you are there when it matters. You want to make sure you are there when 
moments are to be counted. You want to know your family can count on you. And it's about kind of trying to juggle those balls. And I mean, my son was young. My son is now, Dr. Malcolm, he's not 28, right? And I mean, he's known me as a working mom for as long as he remember. But I now look at him and he will tell you that my mom is my 911 because I've always made him believe and told him that you're my most important, you know, priority. But most importantly, when he needed me, I showed up. And, and I'm very grateful for the bond we built because I could have easily lost it given the demanding roles I've had throughout my career. Your family must understand that where they sit in your level of priorities, and it's important for you to communicate that. Thank you for giving us that insight into your world and how you've managed to oscillate on your extreme prioritization. Life is, it's not 50-50. It is about those important moments and, as you say, looking towards those those prioritizations. In keeping with this flow of of thinking, one question that I ask everyone on the show is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to their success. Some people will speak about faith, uh, values, a particular person in their life. Please, can you share with us what have been some of your driving factors? I've been thinking about this and I think I I keep adding to my answers because you kind of become more reflective, right? And I can add, by the way, all of them, my faith has been, is important to me today and and always has been. My family has been important. My, you know, I I can go on, but I want to, I want to take this from a bit of a different angle, actually. And this is what I thought about because Actually, if you look at your life, your life is made out of a series of chapters. What I realized is actually what, what, what got me to this point, and it's never one thing, to be honest, but it's about having people in your life that persuade you during a chapter to stay the course. What do I mean? When I got the role at 28, I had people cheering for me. It became tough. There was enough people cheering for me to make it to the next point. Oh, I made it. I got to Europe. I got into an international role. It became tough again because it was a new beginning. And I got persuaded enough to stay the course, to do the work, to get to the next point. No different. Even when I got to this role, it was a new chapter. I've never been a CEO. I've had a lot of C-suite roles, but never been. But you find people for the last four years, people who persuade you enough to stay the course, to keep you motivated, to tell you that you can until you get to your next point. If I think of, you know, where I was at 28 and where I am right now, I don't think I had that long range view, to be honest, Dr. Martha, to say that, oh, fantastic, I'll make it to this point and make it. It was about the year and the now, making sure I do better in this moment so that I could ready myself for the next moment and get promoted to the next level. And often this is how people need to look at it in sprints, right? How do I make the next sprint and do so well so that, I'm worthy for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And then when you look back, you think, oh, my goodness, how far have I come? But to be honest, you had to build that courage, that confidence, that fearlessness in every moment when you were entrusted with an opportunity. So I would say to people is that make the most of the opportunity that's given to you. You never know what the outcome of that would be when you show up in your best version of yourself and do your best work. It's so much about living in the present moment and being your best. And 
I love how you use this as a stepping stones and chapters, these episodes in our life as we, we move from one series to, to the next. We've spoken about your career. Can you tell us about a few pivotal moments in your life growing up? So for me, my parents were absolutely fundamental. I mean, at the age of 12, I was clear I wanted to go to university. And it's not as if there was a ton of role models around me that went to university because we grew up in a very different uh, you know, era, but very much encouraged by my parents, by some teachers to kind of you know, pursue their path. Now, also, they did not have the money, but and I was also very fortunate that they could f- find a way, figure out a way to, you know, accumulate, you know, the money to eventually put me through school. Because that was quite important because it's about those people who keep you motivated at the time, especially, you know, when you say to people at 12, I want to go to university. In some small communities then, it was so unheard of. What are you talking about? No one necessarily went to university. So so for me, that was quite pivotal when I got that assistance, the help. Somebody, you know, had a teacher who helped me, uh, you know, complete my university, uh, you know, application form, sent it through, got accepted. So so this was quite pivotal for me. Uh, Another pivotal point for me was... uh, joining the IT industry as a graduate hire. It was a very formal program. We went through a year of quite intensive, very different training interventions. And that level of exposure kind of opened your mind to possibilities. I always say this to people that, you know, um, my first uh, 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 time on on an airplane was to Newport Beach, California. Can you imagine? That's your first flight. It's straight to California. That was quite an aha moment for me in my in, in my world where you're like, oh my goodness, so there are possibilities such as these as well, right? Because you didn't have, you know, access to it. You didn't have a view of it even when, when you grew up. I think that first promotion I often talked about was a life-changing moment that gave me access to people leadership. I never stopped leading people from there, going to live overseas for seven years getting, you know, exposed. And, and it's not just the business experience that you're getting exposure to. It's even the life experience. What's life living in Paris? My goodness, I need you now go and buy groceries. You don't speak French. How do you navigate your way through society? That in itself is a business, you know, case on its own. And then you figure it out. You, you work out, you're smart. You, you figure out how to tell a taxi driver how to get you home. And those are all kind of, you know, pivotal moments where you're like, okay, I also take this experience and I pack it for the next one. Starting my own business, Dr. Malka was, I mean, I remember leading and, and I sitting with my um, business advisor. He's like, so, okay, we need to register your business. What would it be called? And it wasn't a deep thought. I thought, oh, I don't even have a name. I said, can we call it Lillian B? And he's like, okay, do you have other names? I said, not at this moment. This is what my consulting firm became, Lillian B Consulting. I learned so much about myself in those moments when you did not have the safe haven of a company with benefits and all of that. And you had to go and approach people that, hi, I'm Lillian and I'm working for Lillian B. You, you see a different version of the world, right? And that was that was such a fantastic experience, right? And of course, for me, a watershed moment was when I got announced as CEO of Microsoft. I can tell you the age of 23, I always wanted to be captain of the ship. It was a dream. Uh, and that I had in my heart. I didn't know how I would get there. I always thought if I could just work hard, but it takes a whole lot more. 
But these were kind of, for me, some of those key moments in my life that I absolutely cherish and just remember. It sounds like such an enriching experience. Lastly, as we close out today's conversation, please, can you use this platform to share a few words of wisdom, motivation, or inspiration with girls and women who are listening to us? Yeah, I, you know, I, I have so many truths that I carry in my heart. I mean, one is overcome your fear so that you can go and knock on very big doors so that you can ask for things you want. Nothing that I ever got was handed to me on a silver platter. I had to go ask for it, seek for it, share with people my vision about my career. So it's overcome the fear to go and knock on those big doors and say, hey, here I am and this is what I'm planning to do with my life and can you help me? This is my intention. Number two, I would say become a lifelong learner. Just know that you're on a continuous learning journey of self-improvement and self-development. It's truly who you are. That means you're going to have many moments of vulnerability, by the way. Many moments where you will not know. And if you can survive those moments, you'll be good. Because let's be frank, Dr. Malka, when I came into the role as CEO of Microsoft, South Africa, despite of what I've done before, I've never been in this moment. That was a moment of vulnerability where I did not know. And because I got so used to those moments, I was like, I'm okay to embrace you know, the unknown and uh, and I'm just going to go for it. And I would probably say, you know, the last one is make sure that you surround yourself with people who can inspire you, who can challenge you and people who can cheer for you to make sure you go for your absolute best. I remember sitting with a great mentor of mine and that was before I became CEO and he's like, I've now looked at your career path. So when are you going to run a company? I'm late or what and he's always been such a great believer and have people like that in your life that constantly remind you of who you are and what you're truly capable of thank you those are fantastic words i i love the embracing your fear i don't be afraid of knocking on those doors lifelong learning don't be afraid of uncertainty and the unknown. There will always be unknowns. So welcome them and roll with the punches and surrounding yourself with uh, cheerleaders and challenges. I think that um, that's, that's a great sentiment. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your journey. Thank you, Dr. Mark. It was an absolute pleasure to be with you on your show today. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity, and we have been talking to the CEO of Microsoft South Africa, Lillian Barnard.